Hi, I'm Charles Christoph Carter. And I'm his mom, Ellen Carter. We'd like to welcome you to this week's episode of Serial Dreadfuls, your place to find original content covering everything from dark historical fiction to science fiction, horror, adventure, and the supernatural. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast provider of choice. Thank you. In our last episode, upon learning that there was another man in the house with his wife, Kathy Ann, Tim Harvey suspected the worst and escaped from the hospital to seek vengeance. And now, without further ado, the next episode of Yard Work, written by Charles and Ellen Carter, narrated by Ellen Carter. Listener discretion is advised. Kathy Ann leaned forward, resting both hands on the kitchen counter. Her honey-blonde hair fell across her face. Her full lips pursed, her eyes closed to narrow slits, her brows wrinkled tightly, distorting her pretty oval face. Damn it, she thought. I don't need this. I can't believe he was stupid enough to break into my house. With every cop in the county looking for him, why did he decide to show up here? I'm trying to get rid of one headache. I certainly don't need a migraine. If only he had come just a half hour later, I would have been gone. I would have been rid of Tim and him and this godforsaken place. She took a deep breath. I can't believe that he popped that story about my wanting to leave with him, but I had to say something to make him trust me, to make him think that I'm on his side. Leave with him? I'm not leaving this place with that maniac. I'm not going to jump out of the frying pan and into the fire. I'm not going to become entangled in this horrible mess he's gotten himself into. I'll just wait until he gets into the shower and leave. I'll just slip out the kitchen door. But I need a distraction, a way to get out of town without anyone noticing that I've gone. What to do? What to do? She said softly. If everyone's busy looking for him, they probably wouldn't even notice that I've gone. If I call the sheriff and tell him that Greg Vivian is holding me hostage, he might just buy it. I could tell him that I managed to get away from Greg for a moment, just long enough to make the call. She stopped and listened. The house was quiet. She was torn about what she should do, and she was frightened about what she had done, about what Tim knew she had done. She had to leave before Tim was able to recover, before he was released from the hospital. If she stayed, she knew he would come back and punish her, maybe even kill her. I don't owe Greg anything, she told herself. The brief relationship we had ended years ago. He has no right to ask me to try and sneak him out of town, to put myself in the position of being involved in something I've had nothing to do with. All that has to happen is for me to get stopped for a minor traffic violation. If they recognize him, then I'm caught up in his nightmare. But why did he come in the first place? He was taking an awful chance. 
He had no way of knowing that I was here alone. Oh, my God. It suddenly dawned on her that Greg Vivian hadn't cared if Tim had been home or not. She paused for a moment, leaned back against the counter, pushed her hair back from her pretty face, and bit her lower lip. If I'd only waited, Greg might have solved my problem for me and killed Tim himself. If only I'd waited, I wouldn't be in this mess. She tried once more to figure out what had really happened. Who was it that grabbed me and forced me to stab Tim? I saw the look in Sheriff Martin's eyes. He found it hard to believe what I was telling him, but it certainly wasn't my imagination. There is someone out there who hates Tim more than I do. I just don't know who it is, she said to herself. I've got to do something. I just can't stand here. She put her hands over her mouth, trying to make a decision. Finally, she went to the closet just off the living room and got her purse. She made sure that the keys to the SUV were inside, and then she checked her wallet for cash and credit cards. There were a couple of pieces of jewelry she really wanted to take with her, but they were in the upstairs bedroom. She could wait until Greg was in the shower and get them, but he might step out of the bathroom and ask her what she was doing, and then she'd have to make up some lie and perhaps lose her opportunity to leave. But she really wanted the jewelry. She deserved to take at least that with her after all the suffering that bastard Tim had put her through. She took her coat and a small suitcase out of the closet. She had packed it the night they took Tim to the hospital. She laid her coat across the suitcase and started up the steps. She stopped. She didn't hear the sound of running water in the shower. What the hell is he waiting for? She said softly. She turned around, went back down the stairs, and walked into the kitchen. Glancing out of the kitchen window at the SUV, her heart jumped. There was a uniformed officer crouching low beside it. She jumped back from the window. She could only hope that he hadn't seen her. In that instant, she knew what he was there for. They had found Greg. They knew he was here. It was too late. She'd lost her chance. Damn it, she swore. Rushing from the kitchen to the closet, she put her coat on a hanger and pushed her suitcase to the back of the closet, out of sight. As she closed the closet door, a noise drew her attention. It came from the front door. Looking toward the stairs, she checked to see if Greg was coming down the steps, but no one was there. Moving quickly to the kitchen, she pulled open a junk drawer where she kept odds and ends. She pulled out a piece of sandpaper and hastily placed it around her wrist. She made up the scenario in her mind as she held the paper there firmly and rotated it several times, pressing the sandpaper tightly against her skin. I'm not going to lose my chance to leave this hellhole, she whispered to herself as she did the same thing to her other wrist and then rubbed the sandpaper roughly across one cheek. She inspected both wrists. They were red with small abrasions where the rough sandpaper had been pulled across them. Satisfied that the abrasions would give the impression that Greg had abused her, she shoved the sandpaper all the way to the back of the drawer. Closing the drawer, she ran quickly through the house to the front door. She released the lock, jerked the door open, and ran out. She felt someone grab her upper arm, and her feet left the ground. It felt as if she were floating, like she was the last person in the child's game cracked the whip. Landing with a thud against the side of the house, eyes wide, a gasp caught in her throat, she looked up into the face of Sheriff Joe Martin. His eyes were narrowed, his teeth were clenched, his hand was wrapped firmly around her upper arm. 
She caught her breath, tears in her eyes. She said in a low voice, Thank God you're here. That madman broke into my house. If you hadn't, where is he? Joe asked roughly through his clenched teeth, his eyes glancing at her red wrists and then surveying her face. He's upstairs in the bathroom. Joe nodded slowly, a puzzled look on his face, still holding her securely. She wasn't sure he believed her. She could see the doubt in his eyes. Is the back door locked? Joe asked. She shook her head no. He ruined the lock when he broke in, she replied. There are three cruisers in the Hamptons' driveway. Get into one of them and wait there. She nodded her head. He let go of her arm and she ran quickly across the field. She looked over her shoulder at him before she disappeared around the corner of the Hamptons' house. He watched Kathy Ann as she ran away from him. She turned her head and looked over her shoulder in his direction. Their eyes met. She hesitated for a moment, averted her eyes, and quickly disappeared behind the house. There was something about the look she gave him that bothered him. The one statement she'd made kept playing over and over again in his mind. He's upstairs in the bathroom. Why would a man on the run feel comfortable enough in a strange house to leave his captive unbound? For the last few days, Vivian had always been just a few steps ahead of him. Why would he take a chance and change his pattern now? It didn't make sense. He knew Vivian had to have been getting help from someone. Could it have been Kathy Ann? If so, why wouldn't she have warned him that they were there? He pulled in a deep breath. Maybe she had. Drawing his weapon from his holster, pointing its barrel into the air, breathing shallowly through clenched teeth, Joe slipped into the house. He decided to play it safe. Despite what Kathy Ann had told him, he would do a thorough search of the downstairs instead of a more cursory one. I hate these room-to-room searches, he mumbled under his breath. He remembered one particular search he'd conducted with Jared when they were on the force in the city. They hadn't conducted as thorough a search as usual. The memory came back so clearly that it seemed like it happened just yesterday. They were checking out a drug dealer's apartment. The dealer's neighbor told them that he didn't believe the man was there. On entering the apartment, he became quickly convinced that the dealer had been using his own mind-altering product. The walls were covered with some type of brown striped red velvet paper. The chairs in the living room were purple brocade with gold and green fringe. The lampshades had large black butterflies painted on them with orange neon feelers. The deep shaggy carpet was lime green. He and Jared had called out the dealer's name several times but had received no response. Joe remembered they had searched the living room and the bath, a claustrophobic little hole edged in gold with black walls, a red ceiling, and bright yellow floor tiles. The commode had been painted gold and the sink a dark purple. Jared had remarked, Is this guy colorblind? They had started down the hall past a small linen closet toward the bedroom. He remembered looking at the closet and thinking that it wasn't worth checking because no one six foot five could possibly hide themselves there. He had turned to ask Jared where he wanted to go for lunch. That's how convinced he was that no one was in the apartment. The linen closet door burst open behind him. The drug dealer jumped out, high on his own product, a gun in one hand, and stumbling forward, tried to fire, screaming some unintelligible epithet. Jared had pushed him hard up against the wall, out of the line of fire, and shot twice, ending the drug dealer's career. That last memory made his heart jump, and his mind snapped back to the present. Keep your mind on what you're doing, and make sure you check those linen closets, 
he told himself as he moved further into the Harvey's living room. After checking behind the large overstuffed couch, the oversized wing chairs, the ornamental screen, and the downstairs closet, he walked to the center of the room, his eyes scanning the area one last time. Then he carefully entered the small den. There was no one there. He noticed the gun cabinet, the most prominent feature in the room. Then he stepped back out into the living room and placed his back against the wall, etching his way along the wall until he reached the entrance to the dining room. He leaned his head around the door jamb to peer inside. Out of the corner of his eye, he caught a movement of someone coming out of the kitchen. He quickly raised his weapon, aimed it, and silently counted to three. On three, he saw Maynard Nash emerge and turn in his direction, weapon drawn. His deputy froze with a look of surprise on his face, like a teenager caught sneaking into his house long after curfew. He watched his deputy breathe a sigh of relief upon recognizing him. Joe lowered his weapon. Using his left hand, he signaled Maynard to stay where he was. He searched the dining room carefully, making sure there was no place for anyone to hide. He found no one. Joe stepped out of the dining room back into the living room. Maynard had come through the kitchen. Obviously, there was no one hiding there, and he'd just eliminated both the living room and the dining room. He's not in the lower portion of the house, Joe thought satisfied that his quarry had to be elsewhere. He tilted his head and looked up at the ceiling, wondering if he could trust what Kathy Ann had told him. He glanced sideways at Maynard and saw him looking up at the ceiling as well. Their eyes met. Maynard nodded, and Joe crossed the short distance that separated them. Todd has the Harvey house covered from his position in the Hamptons house. Even if Vivian tries to escape through a window, Todd will see him, Joe thought to himself. They started up the stairs. Reaching the top of the staircase, they moved stealthily to a place just outside the master bedroom door. He turned to Maynard. His deputy was gripping his weapon so tight that his knuckles had turned white. His breathing was shallow and fast, his eyes wide. Maynard, Maynard, Joe whispered softly. Take a deep breath. If we do this right, he'll never know what hit him. I'll go first. Cover me. If something happens in the room, take your time. Don't rush it. Do you understand? Maynard took a deep breath, let it out slowly, and nodded. Suddenly, the air became heavy and still. Joe could feel his heart pounding in his chest, and he could hear Maynard breathing rapidly beside him. He listened for the sound of running water, but there was none. He heard the flush of a toilet and then the sound of the shower water being turned on in the master bedroom. I hate this part, Joe thought to himself. He went in first, Maynard covering him. The door to the bathroom was open. Vivian's clothes lay in a pile on the bedroom floor. His large knife lay on the dresser. Maynard slipped in quietly behind him. Concentrating on the bathroom door in front of him, Joe pointed to the knife. Maynard took it from the dresser and tucked it between his uniform pants and his gun belt. Vivian must have heard them, but Joe couldn't understand how that was possible with the shower on. Maybe Vivian just had a sixth sense because just as they positioned themselves on either side of the door, the shower stopped. Kathy Ann, is that you? Vivian called. Joe looked at Maynard. Maynard was breathing rapidly again. Joe put his finger to his mouth and Maynard stopped breathing. Joe heard the shower door swing open. Vivian called again. Kathy Ann? There was a pause. What the hell is she doing? Joe knew it was only a matter of seconds now. 
He also knew that Vivian would be wet and probably slippery with soap. They had only one chance to bring him down without getting into a struggle where someone could possibly get hurt. At that instant, Vivian stepped into the bedroom. Maynard moved, then hesitated. Vivian saw him and turned in the direction of the dresser where he'd left his knife. As he turned, Joe placed his weapon at Vivian's temple. Move and I'll blow your fucking head off, Joe growled menacingly. Don't fucking breathe, Maynard said breathlessly as he stepped slightly in front of Vivian and placed his own gun only 12 inches from Vivian's forehead. On your knees, Maynard ordered. Do it now, Joe said, pushing him down. Vivian dropped to his knees. Joe slowly stepped out to the side of him. Maynard stepped back. Hands behind your head. Do it now, Joe ordered. Vivian did as he was told. Cuff the son of a bitch, Joe said. Maynard put his gun away and placed first one cuff on Vivian's right hand and bringing it down the middle of his back grabbed his left wrist. Vivian tried to pull his left hand away. Joe placed his gun back against Vivian's temple. Don't give me a fucking excuse. Vivian stopped struggling. Maynard tightened his grip on Vivian's left hand, twisted it, pulled it down and cuffed it. I don't want to see your ugly face, Maynard said, bending down beside Vivian. Moving behind him, Maynard raised his foot and pushed Vivian to the floor. What the hell is this all about, Sheriff, Vivian said as he lay naked and prone on the carpeted floor. You killed Bill and the little Dalton girl, and that family up at the lake. Who knows how many more, you sick bastard, Maynard hissed. I ain't killed nobody, Vivian replied. Shut the fuck up, Maynard screamed. You boys are going to have to uncuff me so I can put my pants on unless you want to put them on for me. And Maynard, I don't want you groping things that don't belong to you, Vivian quipped snidely. You don't have to worry about that because we're going to take you to the station house buck-ass naked and let you put your own clothes on once we put you in a cell, Maynard retorted. Joe looked at Maynard and smiled. And now, a preview of our next episode. While observing his marital home from a hiding spot in the woods, Tim Harvey witnesses his nemesis, Greg Vivian, being brought out of that house, his house. What will Tim do to Kathy Ann once Joe and his deputies have left the scene with their prisoner? Please consider joining our Patreon site and becoming a Dreadnought. For only $3 a month, our Dreadnoughts get early access to free episodes, exclusive periodic commentary by the authors of the books and the creators of the podcast, exclusive access to episodes of the second half of each book as those episodes are released, and access to the entire back catalog of episodes as our podcast goes forward. Click the link in the show description now to become a dreadnought and aid in the conversion of the uninitiated masses.